0: would. Let's turn in our copy of God's Word to the book of 1 John. 1 John, near the back of the Bible, will be in chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning there, don't forget Wednesday night meals are coming back this Wednesday. So at 5 o'clock we will be gathering for food right over here in the fellowship hall. If you want to come to that meal, if you flip over your bulletin, you'll see the info for how to sign up for it. Usually, We would say this, you can call the office until 12 o'clock tomorrow, noon on Monday to sign up because you must RSVP to get a meal on Wednesday nights. Okay, everybody hear that? If you want to come and if you want to eat, you must RSVP for that meal. I would say usually call the office by noon tomorrow, but the office will be closed tomorrow. So if you can, flip over your bulletin, you'll see how to register for that meal by noon tomorrow still. Or if you would like... If, if the Internet's not your thing, find one of us before you leave today, and we will get you signed up for that. Deal? Okay. On another note, this coming Thursday, the Well Women's Bible Study is starting back from 9.30 to 11.30 on Thursday mornings right out here in the gathering space. So if you want to come to that, I know that um, Amy Bandray is leading that as well as Stephanie Aiken, if I'm not mistaken. If not, I just put you on the spot big time. She's shaking her head yes, which is a good thing. So let talk to one of them before then. 1 John chapter 2. The word of the Lord for us this morning is from 1 John chapter 2 beginning at verse 15. Here's what we have. Brothers and sisters, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a hard word. So, Lord, we pray that you would open us up before you right now. That we may see where we are, that we may see how we're doing. May we be willing to examine ourselves this morning because we want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been studying 1 John the last few weeks, a conversation that I had once has been coming to mind regularly. And this is the conversation in which I said words that I regret more than anything else I've ever said in my life. And I want to explain it to you. I was working at a summer camp back in 1999. And so it was a youth camp, youth Christian camp. And I remember sitting with a a young boy there, probably junior high, young high school kid. He was, what, 10 years younger than me probably. I was in college at the time. And we went through the gospel. And I said, do you believe this? He said, yes. I do. I said, would you like to pray and ask the Lord to save you? Yes, I would. And I said, okay. We prayed. And then I closed the prayer and I looked at him and I said this. And I remember sticking my finger in his face and I said, don't ever doubt what has happened right here. Satan will try to get you to doubt this. Don't let him. There's a problem with that. That's not biblical. It's wrong. And that's what 1 John is about. I essentially told that kid that day, you can live however you want and do whatever you want from from now on. You're good. That's what I said, wasn't it? Don't ever doubt this. If you find yourself on death row getting your last meal, remember this moment. No. No. And I regret those words more than anything I've ever said because I can't fix it. I don't know who he was. I don't remember his name. I don't know where he's from. And so I have found myself over the last decade, decade and a half, whenever I think of him, I pray for him, God, may it have been real. May it have been true. May his life have been changed. May he live a life that shows evidence of salvation, and if he doesn't, Take those words, I say, and wipe them away. May he not remember them at all. What is 1 John about? If you claim to follow Christ, if you claim to believe Christ, it will show in your life. If you claim to believe in him as your savior, there must be some sort of life change. There must be some sort of evidence of it. There must be a fruit of your salvation. And if there's not, John is saying, you need to doubt your salvation. You need to doubt your confession if there's nothing else in your life that shows the fruit of salvation. And then he gives us these tests, these ways to examine ourselves, to see and know whether we have eternal life. Is your life characterized by walking in the light? Do you see your sin and repent of it? Do you keep his commandments? Do you love one another? Notice that none of these have anything to do with perfection or having it all together. Rather, there must be an understanding that you don't. So that when you sin and you will sin, you will recognize it. You will confess it. You will trust in Christ as your advocate. That this is the life of the believer until we see Christ face to face. And then our, our trials and our troubles and our struggles with sin will finally be in the rear of but, but for now, you will fall. You will fail. And the gospel of Christ is still true, isn't it? And the test continue today. Notice what John has just told us. Here's what it looks like to be a child of God. You love your brothers and sisters. But here's what it also looks like. You love them, but you don't love the world because the, the, if you love the world and the things in the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. What is the Lord doing in our salvation? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life we were meant to live. That Jesus loved God perfectly and he loved his neighbor as himself and then he died for those of us who did neither of those things. He died to save sinners, taking on himself the sin of all who would believe on him. Taking on himself the wrath of God against our sin. So that as we believe on Christ, we are saved from our sin. We're saved from the wrath of God against our sin. But we're also credited with the righteous life of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is condemned as the sinner and we are declared saints. And throughout this life, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in us to make us in practice what he's already declared us to be. To be conforming us to his likeness, that we would be declared just and righteous, but that we would be becoming just and righteous. If you've heard the word sanctification, this is it. That we are being sanctified, we are being made holy, we are being made more like Jesus Christ. That throughout this life, God is working in his people so that they will love what he loves and they will hate what he hates. This is what we read in Colossians just a few moments ago. That Paul is calling us to put to death that which is earthly To put to death that which is worldly, things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, anger, malice, and slander. The the, the old self is being put to death, and we've been made new. And so you are to hate what God hates. You're to hate that sin. You're to hate that temptation, and you're to seek to put it to death in your life. But put on then, Paul says, as God's holy children, compassionate hearts, humility, humility, Meekness and patience you see what he's doing God is making us like him He's making us children of the light who walk in the light Loving what he loves and hating what he hates now you may hear that because this is the first question I would I, I ask when I'm reading this text now hold up we aren't to love the world but God Loves the world. Aren't we told that God so loves the world... ...that He sent His only begotten Son... ...that whoever believes in Him would not perish... ...but have eternal life? I don't get it. And it's a great question and I'm glad you asked it. Understand, the Greek word for world is cosmos. It's not that surprising, is it? The cosmos. It's where, where we get this, this idea from. And in the New Testament, that word word cosmos... Always translates world, but it has like five or six different meanings and ways that you can use it. It can mean the entirety of the universe, the heavens and the earth, like it does in Matthew 13. In Luke 11, it refers just to the earth itself, just to our planet it can mean all of mankind like it does in John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. But we must understand what is John meaning because he tells us don't love the world when clearly God does love the world. Well, there is another meaning for what the world can mean and it's what we find right here. I feel the same way. right here. What does it mean? The word world right here is used to describe the realm that is not only separated from God, but is in active rebellion against him. Think about the way we talk about someone. We say, well, that person there is worldly. What do we mean? That their whole thought and their whole life is wrapped up in this world and they're living as if God does not exist and God has no call or claim on their life. That they're living at odds with Him. They're living as if this world holds the key to their joy and their fulfillment and their satisfaction. And we say, what? That person is worldly, that person is living in opposition to God. Now we're going to see more of that concept next week as we look at this, this description of the Antichrist in the next section. But think about how Satan is described in the scriptures. Jesus calls him the prince of this world in John 12, 31. He's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2. So Satan, we're told, has blinded the minds of unbelievers here in this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are told to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers who rule over this present darkness. Now, when you understand world in that way, you see what John is saying and why he's saying it. John is saying, don't love the world. Don't fall for its marketing. Rather, the God of this world is seeking to blind you. That the devil is scheming. And what's his goal? He wants to devour you. Isn't that what we learn in 1 Peter? That the, the, the devil is prowling like a lion seeking someone to devour. And what he wants to do is he wants to devour Christians by laying before you this world. His world for now. And saying, you can have this. Isn't that what he did to Jesus in the temptation? In Matthew 4, Satan takes Jesus up on a very high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I'll give it all to you if you will but fall down and worship me. What is Satan saying to Jesus? Forget the cross. Forget the suffering. You can have the crown and the joy and the glory right now with all of that. And what does Jesus say In Mark chapter 8, he says, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world? But what? But forfeit his soul. But lose his soul. This is the warning of John. Don't love the world. Don't pursue the world. Don't stake your life here in its pursuits, its goals, its loves. Now understand, this is meant to be an encouragement for you to set your affections rightly. It's meant to remind you that you won't find your joy here in this world because you are a child of God and have been taken out of this world. That it's not for you anymore. It won't fill you. It won't satisfy you. Uh, Even later in this book, in 1 John chapter 4, John's telling us to test the spirits. And he says to us that we are from God, that we are not from this world anymore. In chapter 5, we're told that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And if you've been born of God, then you've won victory already because Christ has brought victory for you. So you've overcome the world. It's meant to be an encouragement, but it's also meant to be a means by which you examine yourself. And this can be the hard part because we get so used to coming to church, getting, leaving, and checking the box. First John doesn't allow us to do that. It calls us every single week. And that's why it's such a hard book to preach and to hear. Because it calls us to look inward and look at ourselves and examine ourselves to see what God is doing. Are we His? It's also meant to be a means by which you examine yourself. So let me ask you. Do you love this world? Have you fallen for its marketing? Have you forgotten, Christian, that you are not of this world? Have you forgotten that you've overcome this world? Have you forgotten those things and you've kind of brought your eyes back down to this place and what's around us as if it'll satisfy? As if it is what you were made for? As if the world is the sum total of your life and the end goal for which you are pursuing John goes on to explain what he means by the things of the world. He says in verse 16, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. And if that's true, since it's true, we need to be able to recognize that. We need to understand that and see that and not be unaware of the schemes of the devil and trying to get us to fall. The desires of the flesh. What is that? Well, thank God Paul in Galatians 5, 16 uses the exact same phrase, the desires of the flesh. And he says this, if we walk by the Spirit of God, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other. So he's saying the same thing that John is saying. Understand that the world and the flesh and what you desire is against what God desires for you. So don't love the world. They're against each other. That you will either love God or you will love this world. You won't do both. And that every day and every moment we are choosing which one we are going to follow. Paul then goes on to talk about the desires and the deeds of the flesh. And this is what he writes. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality... Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries or dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And that if you practice these things, that if this is how you walk, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You heard the list. Some of you may have just heard that list right there and you kind of slunk a little down. Slunk. Is that a word? It's in my notes. The computer did not correct me. You slunk down a little further in your chair because you know your struggle was in that list. Because you know that what what Paul just said actually describes you. You need to hear this that if if that list describes you, if this is your walk, if this is your love, if your affection is found in that list and you aren't fighting it, you aren't confessing it, you aren't taking it to your advocate and your Savior, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? That's what He says. Take it seriously. But the promise is still there for you too So you can come back up a little more in your seat If you hear that list and you are convicted by it You know that it describes you Then praise God And the promise is still for you If anyone does sin We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one He is the propitiation for your sin Even that sin So go to Him, confess it, repent of it, and trust in Him that He is faithful and He is just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, Galatians 1 even says this, Jesus gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That's why He came, to deliver you from the desires of your flesh. So if you're still fighting it, praise God, it won't last forever because he came to deliver you from it. He also says the lust of the eyes. This is something you see that you want, but you don't have. James speaks of this in chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says that this is friendship with the world. And to be friends with the world is to be what? An enemy of God. The lust of the eyes. This is the goal of marketing, isn't it? You need this product, you deserve this product. And if you had this product, you would have all that you need, you'd be happy. You'd be fulfilled. Don't you want that? It's the new iPhone, the 15. It's like the 14 others, but this one comes in maroon. (laughs) You remember when they used to give them to you for free? All you had to do was essentially get a cell phone plan. Then they got you addicted, and now they say, hey, you can have this, but it'll be nine Brazilian dollars. But you know you need it. You can't live without it. You see something, you want it, and you're willing to kill to get it. You covet, but you can't obtain it, so it causes you to fight and quarrel and act like a child. It's a life driven by the next thing, the new thing, the thing just outside of your grasp. And you're always looking for joy there rather than the one in whom joy would be found. This is so often the end game of social media. Can we just talk Instagram for a moment? How many of you, you get off Instagram and you think, man, I sure am content with my life. It's not designed for that. It's designed to make you want more and to be discontent. A a way to examine yourself on this, like how do we practically examine ourselves on this? I think just to ask some questions here's some what do i think i'm missing in this life that if i just had that i'd be happy what here would fulfill me what am i pursuing right now and why how do i react to not having it what emotions well up in me what am i willing to do to get it What can I do to protect my eyes from seeing that which sets me toward the world? This this is the lust of the eyes. And understand something, it makes promises to you that it will never be able to fulfill. You know why? Because the world can't satisfy you. This place is not for you. You have not only been taken out of this world, you've overcome this world. Lastly, the pride of life. The word here is actually the word for a living, the pride of the living, like how we make a living. What is it we have that makes us what we are? So it's not so much internal longings, and it's not so much that we see something we want that we don't have. The picture here is more that something you already have, something you own, something of which you are a part, and now pride has become that. It could be pride in your looks, or in your skills, or in your talents. It could be pride that your life is built on how people see you. Oh, you started that business. That one's yours. Oh, you're that athlete. You are beautiful. It could be in possessions. That truck is my pride and joy. My wife is my life. Or if you're Brad Paisley, fishing trumps that. The pride of life is seen when our identity becomes wrapped up in who we are apart from God. When your care for that item takes your place of obedience to God. You won't see us in church anymore, pastor. Oh, yeah? Why? We bought a lake house. Okay. Will you be in church while you're up there? No. We're just going to be there. No, I I don't give financially to the ministry of the church. It's my money. Well, you said just a few weeks ago that God wants a cheerful giver. I'd be more cheerful to have my money or this item than I would to give it to God. It's idolatry, is what it is. It's not of the Father. It's it's of the world, not in having things. No. Not at all. But in your pride being so, and your your identity being so attached to it. It's the problem, friends. what what, what do you have that if you lost it? You would lose who you are. That without your fill in the blank, you wouldn't even know yourself anymore. That if that were gone, you couldn't trust God anymore. Notice what John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. The word for love that he uses here is agape, this ultimate, this supreme, this transformative love. Love. Look, if if you've come to love your fleshly desires more than God, if you pursue the things of this world more than you pursue God, if your life is built not on Jesus Christ, but on the possessions or the talents or the looks that you have here, then repent. The the, the easy thing would be to act like this would be a struggle for y'all and not for me. But is that true? No. No. This is... This is seductive. It's easy to fall for in ways that we don't even notice. That's why John keeps pressing, look to yourself. Look to yourself. Examine yourself. See how you're doing. Notice the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he asked the most important question there was. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Essentially, what must I do to not lose my soul for all eternity? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. And he said that to him because he knew where this young man's love was, where his agape was set. It was on his money. It was on his possessions. It was on what he had, that his possessions were his God. And if he was not willing to part with them to gain life, then he would lose his soul. And today you and I will either love God or we will love this world. We can't do both and we won't do both. And to choose to love this world is to choose death. Why? Because verse 17 says this. The world is passing away along with its desires. That if you choose them, you pass away with it. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. When Moses gave the law to Israel, I don't know if you remember this. He, he, he gives it to him and he says this, choose life. I'm setting before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. That it won't be found in this world. It won't be found in rebellion. It won't be found in disobedience. Satan's schemes are to make you believe that it can be. But it can't. His goal is your destruction. So, brothers and sisters, do you love this world? Is your joy found here? Are your pursuits all about this place and what is here? It's not too late. The message comes so that we will hear and so that we will believe and so that we will come to Christ. This agape love is the call to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's not one to be taken lightly. And it's not one to just say, well, Jesus accomplished that for me. No big deal. No. We're called to put to death anything that seeks to rival him. You may say, I love my husband with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love this man and this man and this man. No, the call to love a spouse is to be one that puts to death all other competitors. But how much more so the love of God? You can't love the world in its rebellion to God and love him too. Which will it be? Be honest with yourself. Examine yourself. Are you pursuing that which will kill you? Is your love set on this fallen world? And if so, confess. Repent. Set your eyes on your king and on his incredible mercies that are new for you this very moment. This is why Jesus came, to set you free from this present evil age. So friends, see it, believe it, recognize it, and run to Jesus. Look, if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never asked him to save you and make you new and make you his forever, then today is the day. If you have sins to confess, if you hear this and you say, yeah, I, I see where I've done this. I've been doing this all week. I see where I've done this. I see where I'm loving the world. Confess it. Today is the day. If you want to join this church or you need to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister, today's the day. Whatever it is to which the Lord is calling you to this morning, obey. And if you need to talk to me, I'm going to be right down here or back there after the service is over. But whatever it is the Lord's dealing with you, listen to him. He loves you. He's working for your good and for your salvation and your ultimate joy where it is to be found. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And while we still yet struggle with sin, that the Holy Spirit is still at work and he's going to finish what he started in us. But may there not be a person here who thinks they are okay with you when they're not. May their life give evidence that their confession is true. May they trust in Jesus alone to save them and may their life uphold that confession. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to convict where it's needed. To bring to bear this word on our, not only on our hearts and on our minds today, but on our life moving forward. May we live a life that makes us know that we have eternal life. Work among us, we pray, Jesus. You alone can. In the name of God, we pray. Amen.